Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for this time that we can gather fellow brothers and sisters in Christ together to worship you, to receive your word. As we come to your word, O Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. Please, Lord, open now the mouth of your servant and fill it with your wisdom and knowledge, that he may boldly proclaim your word in all its purity. Prepare our hearts to receive it, to understand it, and to preserve it. Inscribe your law as you have promised upon the tablet of our hearts, and give us the desire and the strength to walk in the ways of your precepts, to the praise and glory of your most holy, precious, and awesome name, and to the edification of your church. May your name be honored, glorified, and magnified here this morning, Lord. Help me to be attentive to your Holy Spirit's guiding and leading. In your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Micah, to chapter 6, where our main text will be verses 6 through 8, but we'll begin our reading at verse 1 just to get a little bit of the background context, as that'll help us understand, and it's important for us to remember as we take a look at verses 6 through 8. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, sacrifice. It's a word that gets used in different ways and at various times, and and it can have various connotations in our world today. Maybe as a parent, you sacrifice sleep caring for your newly born child or for your child when they're sick or to get them up in the morning to get to school. Sacrifice can also be a word that gets used for those who have served in various capacities, serving to protect, defend, and help those in need, such as police officers, firefighters, and veterans. 
can be used for the work that's done by medical professionals as they sacrifice to care for those who come to them who are sick or injured. There are any number of ways that sacrifice gets used in our world and culture today. The word sacrifice would have been familiar to the people in Micah's day as well. However, maybe not in the same way that we necessarily think of it. As we take a look at the life of Israel, we see the institution of the sacrificial system, where one would bring various kinds of offerings, various kinds of sacrifices to the tabernacle and later on the temple. Oftentimes, when we hear sacrifice in connection with Scripture, maybe we think of sacrifices for sin, but there were other kinds of sacrifices or offerings that could be brought, such as fellowship offerings. As we take a look at our passage here in Micah this morning, we see this idea of sacrifice or offering as the people of Judah seek to respond to the Lord in the case that he is bringing against them. As we're going to see, though, there is one particular sacrifice that God desires from us, and that is ourselves. And so we're going to explore this theme of God desiring us to offer ourselves to him out of gratitude for what he has done for us by loving him and our neighbor. With that in mind, let's take a look at some of the surrounding context first before we dive into our text. Now, taking a look at verses 1 through 5, we, it can help us get a little bit better understanding of what's going on overall in this passage and how it impacts then our reading and understanding of verses 6 through 8. So in verses 1 through 5, the Lord speaks, raising an indictment against his people Israel, bringing his case against them. These verses contain various legal elements. We see that language of indictment, of a case. And in verses 1 and 2, we see the calling of witnesses, namely the mountains, hills, and enduring foundations of the earth. We see this sort of thing happen back in Deuteronomy 32. We see there that Moses teaches the Israelites a song, and at the beginning, the heavens and the earth are called as witnesses in that song. While God does have a case to bring against his people, he rather begins by seeing if there's any way that he has offended his people, if he had been unfaithful in some way, shape, or form, instead of launching into accusations against his people. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? As is to be expected, God has not been unfaithful, as he is perfect, holy, just, and faithful. In fact, he proceeds to remind his people of his graciousness and faithfulness to them. He points to four different ways or instances, specifically his bringing them up out of Egypt, redeeming them out of the house of bondage, out of their slavery, and appointing leaders such as Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to lead them, protecting them in the case of Balak and Balaam when Balak sought to have the people cursed, And God faithfully bringing them into the land that he had promised to them, bringing them across the Jordan. This has all been that they may know the righteous acts of the Lord, as we see at the tail end of verse 5. God has set his peace now. And so now he awaits a response from his people, which brings us now to our text this morning. Taking a look at verses 6 and 7, we get Israel's response to the Lord's indictment against them, potentially either an anticipated response or maybe even perhaps an actual response that Micah may have heard. And so Micah presents here. 
As we've previously seen, God has not been unfaithful to his covenant people, and so it stands to reason that Israel is at fault here. Israel needs to reconcile, to be reconciled with God. And so they turn to sacrifice. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now, there are a number of different kinds of sacrifices or offerings that are mentioned here. So let's take a moment and take a closer look at them together. First, Israel begins by proposing to offer quality sacrifices. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? The first sacrifice that Israel proposes to offer is burnt offerings. These types of sacrifices were extremely costly, as the entire sacrifice was completely burned up. It was completely consumed in the fire of the altar. Unlike fellowship offerings, where a portion of the offering was given back to the one who was offering. Likewise, a year-old calf was a very costly sacrifice to offer. The minimum age requirement for a calf to be able to be offered was only seven days, a mere week. And so for someone to offer a year-old calf was extremely costly as they would have sunk a year's worth of food, time, energy into this animal, caring for this calf, which they would not get back. But the offer of sacrifices, it's not done there. The Israelites press on. And so the people of Israel move from the quality of sacrifices to quantity, seeing if this will be enough to reconcile themselves to God. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? We can see throughout Scripture various instances of mass offerings, mass sacrifices by people, such as Solomon at the dedication of the temple. During that whole celebration, we're told that Solomon sacrificed 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep to the Lord. That's a total of 142,000 animals sacrificed. Take a moment and imagine that. Let that number sink in. Think about how costly that was. The imagery of thousands of rivers of oil are also telling of the vast quantity, but Then we come to an offering that seems quite shocking. We see God's people press further, wondering if they should give their firstborn for their transgression, the fruit of their body for of the fruit of their body for the sin of their soul. Something of this nature is probably shocking and should be shocking to our ears, as we know this sort of thing is atrocious in God's sight. This kind of sacrifice connected during that time with a false god. And we do sadly hear of certain kings of Israel sacrificing their children in sacrifice. Potentially in view here could be Abraham being willing to offer Isaac, as one person mentions. But they also point out, the idea is evident. I will give my greatest possession to the Lord if that is what he desires, even my own flesh and blood. Whether or not these sets of verses are understood as Israel seeking to defend themselves, or how they can prove their love to God, There's still a problem here. There's still a problem going on. As one person puts it, what was the problem with the Israelites' desire to bring sacrifices? The problem was that the sacrifices were a picture of what God had promised to give them, the true Lamb of God, his own Son, whose death would atone for their sins. 
The sacrifices were never intended to function as a way of buying off God. Note that. The sacrifices were never intended to function as a way of buying off God. The question then is what those who have received God's priceless gift of salvation should then offer to him in return. The answer is our very selves, our hearts, our minds, our bodies, and our souls. The way we offer ourselves to God is by loving him with all that we are and loving our neighbor as ourselves. We see that clearly in our next verse, verse 8. Taking a look at verse 8, we see the speaker now shift from the people of Israel back to Micah, who presents what God desires from his people, which is it's not something new. It's something that God has already declared to them in his word, already revealed to them. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And these requirements, the two great commandments, are encompassed. As we read in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The first two requirements, doing justice and loving kindness, encapsulates the second great commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself. And the third part of verse 8, walking humbly with your God, connects with the first great commandment, love the Lord your God. Let's take a moment, though, and break these down a little bit. First, we see that the Lord requires his people out of gratitude for what he has done for them to do justice. We see plenty of times throughout Scripture God's care and love of justice. We saw even from our call to worship this morning, in Psalm 33, verse 5, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Throughout the various laws given to the people of Israel, God's love of justice shines through, and his desire for his people to act justly in their interactions with one another, caring for the poor, the widow, the orphan, slaves, and others. But what is justice, and what does it mean to do justice? One person nicely answers these questions when they say, the idea of justice is that we we are to treat people fairly, giving them what is due to them. A person who does justice is one who treats people right, offering respect, integrity, and fairness. As Micah has pointed out previously, and we'll point out just after our passage in the following verses, the people of Israel had sadly not acted in this manner. Next, we see that the Lord requires his people to love kindness. The word here in the original language, it can have a fairly broad understanding or meaning being translated in different contexts as mercy, loving kindness, faithfulness. God time and again shows forth his loving kindness to his people as we saw earlier in the recounting of his gracious acts towards his people, his provision for them, his providing leaders, his protection of them, his bringing them faithfully into the land, his redeeming of them. And so he desires his people to do the same out of gratitude for what he has done for them. And so to see people through his eyes, meeting their needs. But as one person points out concerning loving kindness, it's, it's not just being merciful to people in need. That response is only one outworking of a deep commitment to covenant life within God's, covenant, within God's community. 
Lastly, God requires his people out of gratitude to walk humbly with him. In this, we see that God desires for his people to live lives that are fully given to him, seeking that he is glorified in every area of our lives, lives that are fully devoted to him. But what does it mean to walk humbly with God? The word that's used here in the original language, it it denotes carefulness, seeing that we live with awareness to God's holiness and grace, submitting to his will rather than having our will be done. It's as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we said before, though, the people had not lived in this way, as can be seen throughout the earlier sections of Micah and even directly after our passage. In the verses following Micah 6, 6 through 8, we see God point out specific ways that his people had not been faithful and delivers his verdict. As we take a look at our passage, though, we recognize as well that we don't live up to all this perfectly either. Knowing that we stand before a just and holy God who cannot stand sin as it requires payment. And a question in our minds, echoing Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 11 might be, but isn't God also merciful? The Catechism responds, God is certainly merciful, but also just. God's justice demands that sin committed against his supreme majesty be punished with the supreme penalty, eternal punishment of body and soul. And yet, thanks be to God that he doesn't just abandon us in our sin, but rather pursues us in his love offering his only eternally begotten son, Jesus Christ, for the sin of our souls, who willingly came, took on our flesh, lived the perfect life that we couldn't, who did justice, loved kindness, walked humbly with God, dying in our place, taking our punishment upon the cross for our sin, God's just wrath on sin, and then rose again from the dead three days later. If you are here this morning and you don't know the Lord, Receive this free gift of his grace that he holds out to you, purchased at the precious blood of his son. Repent of your sin. Believe in Jesus Christ. Submit your life to him. Surrender to his lordship. And so, brothers and sisters of Beacon Light, God calls us out of gratitude for what he has done for us in Christ's death and resurrection to live in this way through the enabling work of the Holy Spirit, to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with him. Simply put, to set forth with him in lives of living sacrifice, loving him and our neighbor. As Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. But practically, what does it look like to live lives of sacrifice? What does it look like to, out of gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God? Let's take a few minutes and explore that together. Lives of living sacrifice can look like submitting every area of our lives, every aspect of our lives to the Lord, submitting them to his will. Maybe there's a decision about potential jobs And you're leaning in one direction, but God is calling you in the other direction or calling you maybe even to something completely different. In those moments, let us rest and submit to his will as his will is best. May we pray that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Living lives of sacrifice can look like being honest and fair in our dealings with others, not being conniving or shortchanging someone. Living lives of sacrifice can look like caring for our fellow human beings, looking on others with God's eyes of mercy and compassion and love, caring for the poor, the widow, the orphan, and so many others. Maybe you have a friend or a family member or a fellow brother and sister in Christ or someone else that comes to you or will come to you and they're going through a rough season of life. We can look on them with compassion, encouraging and helping them through that difficult season that they're walking through, walking through it with them, shining the light of Christ into their lives. We see Christ exemplify a life of living sacrifice. He cared for the people, as we read in Matthew 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. We ultimately, he ultimately submitted to the Father's will in the garden, willingly going to the cross in our place. One thing that we noted earlier about sacrifice, though, is that it's costly. Sacrifice costs something. A great example of this is shared by Corey Tenboom, a survivor of the horrors of the concentration camps of World War II, about her father and his exemplifying of Micah 6.8. Corey shares a story about her father, who was a watchmaker. At the time, their family was struggling greatly financially. But then one day, a very wealthy gentleman walks into their uh, watch shop, and he proceeds to request to purchase the most expensive timepiece that is available. And so he does. And as Mr. Ten Boom is processing that payment, putting the money away, the gentleman tells why he came in that day to purchase a new watch. You see, he had gone down the road just previously to another watchmaker, a competitor, to have his old watch fixed, but they were unable to. Upon hearing that, Mr. Tenboom proceeds to take the man's old watch, tinker around with it for a little bit, and fixes it. And so he gives the gentleman his watch and money back, stating how good this other watchmaker will be At this, Corey was pretty shocked. She was shocked at her father's justice, his kindness, his humbly walking with God. Corey mentioned to her father about the great opportunity that the sale would have provided for them. them. It would have met their needs financially. But her father gently pointed out, saying, Corey, what do you think that young man would have said when he heard that one of his good customers had gone to Mr. Tenboom? Do you think that the name of the Lord would be honored? As for the money, trust the Lord, Corey. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he will take care of us. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he will take care of us. Corey's father exemplifies verse 8 as he was just as he was just by being honest in his business dealings, giving the gentleman back his money and the watch. He willingly sacrificed the profits he could have earned to show his fellow watchmaker loving kindness, upholding his reputation, all the while honoring and glorifying God in this way. We see that sometimes living lives of sacrifice may come at a cost, might come at a cost of our finances, as we seek to honor God in our business dealings or helping someone who's struggling financially. Maybe it will come at the cost of position, Maybe as we take a look at fellow brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, it may even come at the cost of our lives. 
as we boldly proclaim the good news of the gospel to a culture, a world around us that is hostile to God. Yet we can rest knowing that anything, anything that this life has to offer, any money, any power, any honor, any prestige that this world has to offer, it pales in comparison to the eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus, that we have been given by grace, not by anything that we have done or do. As we mentioned before, we can't do any of this on our own, but only by the grace of God through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yes, we may falter and fail at times as we are still being fashioned. We are still being molded to be more and more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But thanks be to God that we can come to him in repentance for those times that we do falter and fail, asking for forgiveness when we seek to do things our own way, ignoring God's will, and placing our will on the throne instead. Or when we look around, at, around us at people with jaded eyes rather than eyes of compassion. Sacrifice. It's a word that's been used over the course of time, over the course of history in various ways. Whether it be the sacrifice of a parent, a medical professional, or others. Or sacrifices or offerings that one brought to the Lord. There are any number of ways and contexts that this word can be used. As we see in our passage here this morning, out of any of the sacrifices that could have been offered, any of the proposed sacrifices that Israel proposed to offer to the Lord, there, was one, there is one particular sacrifice that God desires us ultimately to offer to him, ourselves. Doing so out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us in his death and resurrection, loving him and our neighbor as we live lives of sacrifice, lives that are wholly devoted to the Lord as we walk humbly with him. As we mentioned earlier, this can be seen in submitting to God's will concerning a specific decision, showing someone loving kindness by walking with and encouraging them in a difficult season of life, and so much more. At times, this life of sacrifice can and will be costly. But as we said before, we can rest knowing that this life has, what this life has to offer, it pales in comparison to the gracious gift that we have received through Jesus Christ, eternal life, because of God's grace and mercy towards us. And we look forward to the day when either Christ shall return or the Lord calls us home, when we will get to worship our Lord, our Creator, our Redeemer for all eternity. Amen. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for this time that we can gather together in worship to hear your word proclaimed. We thank you for your word, Lord, for revealing yourself to us as we go out into our days and weeks ahead, Lord. Help us to live lives of sacrifice out of gratitude for what you have done for us in Christ. We thank you for that precious gift of sacrifice, of Christ's once-for-all sacrifice on the cross for our sin and his rising again from the dead, conquering sin and death. Help us, Lord, as we live lives of sacrifice, that, we would, that you would enable us through the working of your Holy Spirit to do justice to be just in our dealings with those around us, to love kindness, to look with compassion on those around us, to show kindness, mercy, and help us to walk humbly with you, Lord. We know we often falter and fail in this regard, 
but we thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us. Enable us, through the working of your Holy Spirit, to live in this way out of gratitude for what you have done for us. In your precious Son, Jesus' name we pray.